Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hello, Don. And our correspondent, Allie Trowbridge. I need a good hello like J.J. does. <laughs> <laughs> hello, Should we Don. practice? That's good. I, and I, hello, try to, I try to change mine up a little bit, but so you, it's But not you're pretty same. consistent. You've got yep. this good little, like, kind of roll Sometimes with it. Sometimes it's a little bit, hi, Don. <laughs> 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 gotta keep people guessing. Yeah. Speaking of having somebody new on the podcast, this is Allie's second Yes. I mean, she's really a correspondent, Mm -hmm. but she's new to the team. Yeah. And this episode is about new people, hiring new people. Yes. What to look for. And how to build a team. And I have to say, we're in Nashville right now, and I just got to sit in on one of the staff meetings at StoryBrand. I think you have one of the healthiest company cultures I've ever seen. I'm not joking. <laughs> and it, and it's a mystery as to how somebody would be like, it's kind of like my marriage. They was like, how do you build that? I'm like, Mary Betsy. <laughs> so you, and she's taken, so you're doomed. There's no hope for you. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel. It's going to be a great marriage yeah. book. Like, How'd you create that culture? I don't know. You hired the right people. <laughs> you no, but really, you hired the right people. And that's yeah. the theme of this episode is that's how really do it. you do that? And the, you know, there is this one key, if I could add anything, anybody ambitious, like a type A person has goals. I would say never in your hiring, let your goals sort of overshadow who you would have fun with and ethics. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of times your goals are going to be like, oh, you know, if I hire this person, it'll make me, I've actually had this thought in my head, if I hire this person, they're going to make me a lot of money. Hmm. but the staff won't like them. And <laughs> I'm right here. And they're, they're somebody we didn't hire. I know. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and they're probably going to do things that are unethical. That's an easy And no. you, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was still tempted to do <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. But it was like, I smell that coming. And th- right. that would be my contribution to this conversation. But we've got a lot more people who are experts in this <laughs> yeah, than me. Well, what's fun about this one is th- we're doing kind of a themed episode where we're taking kind of highlights from interviews of people that we loved. And we're taking pieces of their interviews and putting them all together about what to look for when you're hiring Right. Somebody. And they're not interviews that we've previously aired. No. We've gone out and gotten topical interviews yep. from people who know about this subject. Yeah, so that's going to be another kind of fun little twist to everything <laughs> we've been doing. It's neat, too, because it's also very different perspectives. So I think, you know, part of these themed episodes is realizing one size doesn't fit all. And yeah. there's going to be a lot of different ways to look at something like hiring. And in one company culture, you're going to have one strategy that may not work for another one. And so yeah. it's kind of choose your own adventure. We're going to give you a few different perspectives on it. Well, we're going to jump right in. We're going to start with Armando Lopez. Armando is the executive director of HR. He's a co-director. So it's he and a buddy who do all the hiring at Ramsey Solutions. And those of you who know who Dave Ramsey is, he's got a radio show. Dave has 600 employees now. Yeah. And it's growing. And they hired... 24 people in 28 days recently. Wow. Can you imagine getting that right? <laughs> yeah. And they actually have an extensive process. And Armando talks about the values that they look for in a new hire. So it all starts with, you know, hey, we're looking for this, this, and this. And it actually, I think it's incredibly effective, and it's the foundation for that whole company. And they're doing well. They're growing. And everybody I interact with over at Ramsey Solutions, they're sharp. You know, they take responsibility, they're loyal to the company, and they're just great people. And so I've always wondered for a long time, where are you finding these folks? And it's Armando. He's the gatekeeper. Here's my conversation with Armando Lopez. You guys over at Ramsey, I heard a rumor that you were hiring 70 people like in January. We started in that quarter, 70 people. 
and your department is in charge of bringing them all on. We are. The team does all the work. I take all the glory. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke in chapel there, oof, I mean, four years ago, five years ago, small room, yes, maybe 150 people. And now, if I speak in chapel, there's, well, last time I think it was 500 or 600. You guys are pushing 700 now, right? 681 today. That's amazing. And uh, we just finished the record month in February. For hiring. Uh, for hiring. 24 hires in the month of February. That's almost a person every day. There were only four days you didn't bring a human being on. That's exactly right. We were a little disappointed we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we have a lot of questions for you. I mean, is that mind-numbing for you? Because even, you know, we're a small company. We have about 20 people who essentially either work for us or live off us. And every one of them feels like a six-month project. I mean, it feels like a very intensive project. So I can't imagine almost every day bringing a new person on. It's hard. And I'll, I'll tell you what makes it hard. If you don't care about who you bring on, you can bring on 24 people in a heartbeat. Right. So it's no longer a record. The interview process we follow and how diligent we are about bringing on the right fit, both for them and for us, right? So great people want to work in a place that matches them. And they're interviewing us as well as we're interviewing them. Right. So to do it the right way takes time. How important is the right person? We all know getting the right people on the bus is incredibly difficult. But, you know, since I've run StoryBrand, I know there is a radical difference. And it's not always people who aren't qualified or aren't good people. They're just not a fit. They don't see the world the way we see the world. They don't, you know, they pursue sales and that we don't actually want to sell to those people because it's going to be a high maintenance thing, those kinds of things. How do you guys attract the right people? I would imagine that's the one of the big problems, one of the big challenges is just attracting the right people. It is. And one of the most commonly asked questions I get is how do you generate applicant flow and then the right applicant flow? And there is no silver bullet for that. Imagine if you were going to buy a car and you want to buy the perfect car for you, the more selection, the better right. chances that you right. end up with the so right car. So you want car. a lot of people streaming through your application process. We do. We had over 16,000 applicants last year. That's amazing. And that gives us choice, right? But mm -hmm. it also gives the candidates choice. It gives us as employers choice. The wrong hire can devastate your business. People say the wrong hire costs you three times their annual salary, right? Mm -hmm. If it's the wrong person. Yeah. But the good versus the great, right? So if we go back to good to great Jim Collins, mm -hmm. they just don't bring enough. They don't encourage the rest of the team. They don't uplift the rest of the team. So those are nominal improvements or nominal losses that you don't feel right away. Yeah. But the right person coming in, once you see them, you go, okay, that's the difference. A generalization, because you're hiring everybody from C-suite all the way to customer service reps. I mean, you're hiring all over the place. Yep. And in different segmented, four different segmented parts of the company, too. But give us a generality of this is the kind of person you're looking for in general. And then we'll get into more specifics in a minute. So we've adopted Patrick Lencioni's uh, mm -hmm. terms, but we were interviewing for this long before he wrote the book. So humble, hungry, and smart right. are three of the character qualities we look for. And humble, we used to call servant leadership, willing to put others before self, et cetera. Hungry is driving energy. These are action-minded people. They get things done. Mm -hmm. And smart is not IQ, where most people think it is. Smart for us was relational. These are people And it that is are, for Lencioni, too. It is for Lencioni, absolutely. Yeah. And so it's that self-awareness. It is the person that can build relationships. They understand when they walk into a room how to adapt to that room. And when they leave a room, they understand how they left that room. Was it better because they left or worse off because they left? 
I'm not going to ask you to name names. Okay. But give me somebody who just right away you went, that's our person. And give me somebody who fairly quickly you went, this person will never work here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and why? And, and you don't want a name? <laughs> I don't want a name. I don't want to be sued. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings either. Um, so well, we, you can give me the positive name, but don't okay. give me the name. So we hired a developer, and I won't give you his name, but we knew from the moment that he stepped in, he was humble. He could care less what the title we hired him for was. He just wanted to contribute. So that was part of it. He didn't say, he said, that's not actually important to me. In fact, we talked about the title, whether it was going to be a senior level or a regular developer, and he didn't care about the title. He wasn't hung up on titles. Mm -hmm. He wanted to know what the work was that we expected him to do and how he could contribute to that work. And whether he would enjoy it. and And whether he would enjoy it and whether he felt capable of doing it. Right. Who he would interact with. So he was already thinking about, in a way, the objectives of the organization, but also his personal sense of fulfillment. There's a lack of desperation there. Oh, absolutely. He's not coming in going, I can do anything you want, just pay me. Correct. He was saying, no, there are things I can't do. Yeah. And if I do something here, you're going to pay me and I'm going to be worth it, but I want to enjoy my work. Yeah. That individual's had two promotions since he's been with us and it's been a year. <laughs> wow. So, so yeah. those, those folks move up quickly. Yeah, they do. Okay. hate to ask, but... Somebody, you just went, ah, this person's never going to work here. And we said no to them? Yes. Okay, so I should probably tell you that before they get to me, they've (laughs) been through enough screens. So there are a lot of people. We have a 95% turnover at the candidate level because they never make it to me. (laughs) Right, right, right. And so a lot of candidates just never make it to me. But we have had a few that do Do you talk to all of them? Did you talk to all 24 who came in in February? Yes. Either wow. myself or Rick Perry. We have two okay. people that do what I do. Yeah. And Rick Perry or I spoke to all 24. Gotcha. Okay. People that make it to that level are usually already screened, but there are a few that once they get to that point, they get more comfortable. They start showing their colors. Right. They've been through so many interviews. Sometimes they forget what they've said and what they haven't said. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you start You can find getting, out whether they're consistent and absolutely. whether they're putting on an act and those kinds of things. And you get into some more specifics. What are their real desires? What do they really want to do? And people that say they're team players early on and talk about the team, once they get to that point, they become very selfish and they talk only about what's in it for them. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And that what's in it for them mentality, that <laughs> entitlement, if you will, is the quickest way to be told no. Hmm. And I can think of several that made it through that fall. And some of them were probably fairly shocked because they had produced a lot for other companies. They knew they were valuable, uh, they but had the they pedigree, didn't fit the... Pedigree, experience, they thought they were in. Didn't fit the culture of the company. That didn't fit our culture. Humble, hungry, smart. Yeah. Yeah, we've heard and that And taking before. a long time to actually go through the process. It's not a quick hire. They take their time with it. Yeah, he actually told me, I can't remember if it was in the interview, but he told me that they're actually trying to shorten it because it has taken too long, <laughs> but still they're shorting to a month, yeah. right? They're shorting to, you know, imagine being that hire and having to wait a month to know whether you got the job. You're going through that many interviews. And yeah, think, and keeping a company culture the same as yes. you're growing at that rate. Yeah. It's it, pretty it, impressive. They're doing a great job. Ali, you talked to Shelly Rangziakel. I did. I did. And she's the CEO and founder of a fabulous company called Pop Social. So they do like the big social installations when brands do huge events. So she'll work with Virgin America or SoulCycle or Lancome. And like if you come in and they've got these huge photo installations or if you're on 
I know you're on Instagram all day, Dawn. If you see <laughs> <laughs> people at an event that are all posting these really cool kind of interactive things that are super well They do this at like conferences or concerts or streets All of the above. Yeah, yeah. Or, or launch events or, I mean, you name it across the you board. You hire Shelly to get you some attention. Exactly. Ah, okay. Exactly. Yeah. And, and if you want attention to spread. So if you gotcha. want everyone on social media to see what happened that's when you hire Shelly. So she's phenomenal at what she does. And she's a new company. She founded it a couple years ago, has had pretty fast growth and has a very different hiring strategy huh. from what we just heard from Armando. Okay. My favorite line with Shelly, she talks about, if you can't get my coffee right, how am I going to trust you with my A-list client? Oh, <laughs> that's words to live by. <laughs> Which I'm going to say, I'm sitting here drinking a cup of coffee. Don, you got it right. I pressed the button on the machine very I well. Saw you, I saw you holding the half and half over it and you caught yourself. So, right. so you passed with So you can colors. trust me with your A-list clients. I can trust you. I'll go through your phone book later and I'll see who I want to call. <laughs> Well, this is fascinating. I love that there's some differing opinions. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's so different. Here's my conversation with Shelly Rangsiakul. So I wanted you to talk to us a little bit about your strategy for hiring. Obviously, the people you've brought on has helped contribute to your scale and your growth. But where do you begin? What are the things that you look for? What's your strategy? I mean, it's really great, uh, you know, to kind of start from the inside and, and work outwardly and just in terms of you know, my past life as a creative director in, in industries and in fashion, music and entertainment and knowing that your own network is like a powerful resource for who knows who. Mm -hmm. So I always try to start there because whenever I've just done like kind of cold posting on the websites of just hiring and like having resumes come in with candidates that have no idea who you or your company are, it's just they're not as strategic. They're not as on point. And Nine times out of 10, I've always ended up hiring someone by word of mouth of just who knows who. Interesting. So you just go through relationships and through your network. Yes. And ironically, through social media. I mean, even a lot of people who are against keeping up their own personal social media. I mean, when I, my personal Facebook besides family is, you know, made up of years of people in my art direction school, like art director school, they themselves are still in the industry and mm. know people that are always seeking jobs at different generations. It's a good reminder, actually, because I think sometimes we think of, like, if we're applying for a job, going through it as a very formal process when it's still strength of relationships and power of networks and just a good reminder to kind of keep putting your name out there and kind of what you're looking for and what you're interested in. Yeah. I mean, when you think about all the noise that you get in your inbox daily, who are you going to pay attention to first? You know, someone that you know personally is like seeking a job. You'll answer them before you'll answer something that's like just a cold email. Right, yeah. right. Now, you work a lot with millennials. You love millennials. Yes. Or love do you? love them. <laughs> now, I'm a millennial, remember? <laughs> yeah, but you're a hardworking. Well, there's a couple different types of millennials. But I think that a lot of millennials, I don't want to say all, but a lot of them come from a very I deserve mentality where they deserve to be where they are. They deserve to be, you know, at a salary that they didn't earn. And that's just like not how I grew up. And my method is to deconstruct millennials. Your parents were immigrated from Thailand. Is that right? Yes. Do you feel like that work ethic has shaped you as you grew up and shapes how you train the people who work for you? 
Definitely. It's a little bit of a tiger mom. <laughs> really? Because I, I actually bit. feel like you are a little bit of a tiger mom. Yeah. I'm a tiger mom without children. Yeah. So. But a tiger mom towards your employees. Oh, yeah. Of course. I mean, it's tiger mom slash like Italian mafia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where, where it's like, they just have to get it done, but they'll always do it with a full stomach. So they're always going to be fed <laughs> and happy simultaneously. You do, you do take really good care of the people yes. who work for you. Yes, but they always have to be accountable for the actions or lack of action. Right. So if you're interviewing someone, what sort of questions do you ask? Do you have a super formal process that you go through? What does that look like? It's probably one of the most informal processes. Seriously? Yeah. Okay. And a lot of just like, you know, focusing on your instincts of when you hear, you know, there's a lot of red flags I look after. One of the first questions I ask is if they've researched pop social, do they know who we mm. are? And to be honest, a lot of them don't. And I just, that blows my mind. Or that someone would come into the interview not actually knowing who you are and what you do. Yes. Or they have looked at our Instagram, which is so millennial and beyond. Minimal effort. Minimal okay, effort. so you want to feel like they've researched you, they know you. Do you have a certain questions that you ask? I mean, obviously their experience and their background and also what they can contribute to our company like Pop Social. And also just understanding, you know, this is startup world and, you know, how much they can get their hands dirty. Talk to me a little bit about culture. What's the culture like at your company and what kind of culture are you creating? Certainly an interesting culture, multifaceted. I mean, everyone kind of wears multiple, multiple hats. I really believe in kind of starting at the small tasks and kind of growing from there just because if you can't get something simple done, how are you going to please the needs of the client? Yeah, I've heard you say that to staff before. If you can't get my coffee right, what is it you say? Yeah. If you can't even get my coffee right, how are you going to you know, make a client happy with all their needs? And you've so. got some super high-end clients that you're working with. Oh, yeah. These are massive. Massive clients. So it's almost like you start people really low level to make sure that yes. they can get the details right. Yeah. So when we're talking about anyone that's not like a senior candidate, then I have to like start them small. And so, for example, even though it's such a cliche thing, it's coffee. I take my coffee very specific. I'm a, I'm a bougie. <laughs> How do you take your coffee? <laughs> I'm a bougie, bougie coffee drinker. I take my iced coffee in the summertime. Okay. I take it with the ice separate. So they have to make sure to have two, order two iced coffees with two separate glasses of ice. Okay. And then I also want almond milk uh -huh. and unsweetened, even though the drink, it's like deconstructing that drink. Yeah. And... It comes back wrong to me with first time, like post first time coffee goers. <laughs> so it's like a test. Yeah, but it's not that hard. But they can make mistakes as much as they do with me, and I'm okay with it until they get that right. But right. until they get that right, they won't talk to one client. They won't, you know, handle anything more that's valued at $100 or anything close to my company. So it's almost a way that you can kind of trial, grow, scale your own people yeah. to make sure that they're getting internal details right. And then once they're ready, yeah. you know that they can handle the external details well. Yeah, it's being detail-oriented. It's an interesting philosophy because I think, look, you make a lot of jokes about my generation, but it's true that there isn't quite the same spirit of paying your dues that I think previous generations had, where it really was grunt work. And right. I joke that my first job was packing boxes because I right. worked with a nonprofit and came in doing, basically my job was everything that the founders did not want to do. And I was 
packing and shipping documentaries and just total, total grunt work. And I'm super grateful for it because I feel like I learned every aspect of the business. But I think a lot of new hires aren't necessarily excited maybe about that element of a job, especially if they're in their 20s and looking to kind of go straight to the top. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them think they're above that. And it makes no sense to me because all my first jobs were so multifaceted. I got my hands so dirty. I was on TV playing backup for the needs of the PR department when I was a designer myself. A lot of the younger generation, I'm looking at one. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. You can talk about me like I'm not here. I hear so much, well, that's not my job. Or you didn't tell me. Really? And it's like, how how do you learn to think proactively and anticipate the needs of others? It's by doing everything. It's by understanding all facets. Yeah. Some of our other guests on this episode had very formal interview processes where, I mean, you're going through seven different rounds and meeting with all different kinds of people. And your strategy is totally different. It's very... It sounds like you're very from the gut. You trust your instincts with people and then you start them small and grow them. Would you say that's right? And I think, yes. And I also think in startup world too, it's not, I mean, we're four years in now, but your needs are changing too. Yeah. And sometimes you really discover that one of our new girls who focuses on tech, I discovered later on that she was familiar with HTML coding, but then it can also do a little bit of Adobe Photoshop and then also was very good at, you know, organization skills too. And then we were able to kind of retrofit her into a better position for her. So it actually helps her grow too. And then also my previous assistant who is still with the company, I mean, she, I discovered through her being my assistant that she is a very bright girl in ideating and concepting. You know, she's very good with people. So she's good at account management. So now she's an account management marketing role. So that it really helped me, but I had to watch them. Otherwise, they might have been placed in what they thought yeah. they should have been placed in at our company, but then not necessarily been good for either of us the right, right way. Like, like right. In, and kind of stumping potential. I mean, because yeah. at a young age, you don't know exactly what. Oh, I had no idea yeah. what I was going to be good at in my early 20s. And it's actually interesting thinking back. You know, I kind of had this Swiss Army knife role of doing a little bit of everything. But from that, it became really clear, really quick what I was terrible at and also things that I more naturally excelled in. And I think it's a neat philosophy and actually a gift, especially to younger employees when you're hiring more for the person Mm -hmm. and with a commitment to seeing them grow and grow with the company than just specifically for a certain role. I mean, it also builds loyalty, you know, especially when you can't afford the huge, huge salaries that like large corporations can and benefits and yeah. everything, you build a different type of loyalty and they want to see the company grow. They have that dedication. You don't have to ask them to stay late or come in early. They just do what they do yeah. to get the job done. And that's really hard to find nowadays. Yeah. Well, um, and I, I see that in your staff. You know, we joke about you being a tiger mom, but you really, yeah. there is a very family team type of dynamic amongst your staff. And it's so clear that they feel a deep sense of ownership and passion for the company and what you do. 
Oh, Shelly's fantastic. Yeah, I've always wanted a tiger mom. I am your tiger mom. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's really interesting because there are. Here's the other lesson we're having to learn here. Here's the other lesson we're having to learn here is there are different leadership styles. Like if I blew up at my staff. I think they'd leave because it's inconsistent mm. with how I lead, right? I always wondered what would it be like because you hear about, oh, I think it's Christopher Whipple's book, Gatekeepers, about the chief mm-hmm. of staff in the mm-hmm. White House. There were presidents who would just explode in anger. And I'm just like, if my boss did that to me, that would be my last day, right? And, but I guess if you work for that person, it would seem consistent with who they are, and it's not unloving. It's interesting to me. You know, I think Shelly's mantra is very much, she has very high expectations and is very demanding, but her staff know that she truly loves them unconditionally and is going to... And that's the that's the universal it, thing. Oh, yeah. And you got to care about And constantly going to be there to, to catch them when they fall, but she's also going to call it out. There's none of that, like... Are you upset with me? Are you? Did I handle that wrong? She'll just name it immediately, address it. Here's what we're going to do different next time, and move on. Yeah. And so that actually creates a health in the culture because there isn't this kind of There's like no passive aggressive anything. None. And, and you none. have to hire for that kind of personality. You do. Yeah. That's, yeah. The thing. that's why there are different ways of hiring because for that personality, you have to hire somebody that's different to work in that environment. You know, it's interesting. It's a coaching mentality a little bit. Like when you yeah. think about college coaches, they tend to be really brash. And mm-hmm. I've always wondered, does that hurt the kid? in the long run. And I think it can. I was watching uh, this show and I can't believe, oh, it was on an airplane, right? There's nothing to watch on the airplane. And it was Shaquille O'Neal's show that lasted a minute where he would take on like Michael Phelps in swimming and then he would take on like Jackie Chan in karate and then he would take on, and it was like Shaq versus the world. That was the name of the show. And Shaq hired a swimming coach to help him beat Michael Phelps, which he didn't. Uh, (laughs) Shocker. (laughs) And it was amazing. Here's Shaquille O'Neal, multi-millionaire, unbelievably successful, national champion, you know, world champs, I don't know how many times. And his attitude toward that swimming coach, who he hardly knew, was, yes, sir. No, sir. Absolutely, sir. You're watching a grown man who's mm-hmm. 10 times more successful than the coach be ridiculously submitted so that he could win. It was actually a little learning moment for me. It was like, Don, you need some of that humility. Yes, sir. It was really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. No, I should yes. say yes, sir to you. <laughs> anyway, I also had a conversation with Deanne Turner at Chick-fil-A. And Chick-fil-A has scaled up. When we first started meeting with Chick-fil-A with StoryBrand stuff was, I don't know, four or five years ago. And they were at 3.7 million per store per year. They're now at 5.2 million per store per year. Their 2020 goal of becoming a $10 billion company was surpassed in 2016. Wow. This is a company that's exploding. And they're getting out of that Nike swoosh of the Delta. And they're moving into California. They're moving into Chicago. They're moving all this kind of stuff. So you can imagine the hiring complications of a company like this. And all that, they're a values-driven company. They're a Southern Baptist church that sells chicken. They, and, and they have all those cows supporting them on the billboard. <laughs> yeah. too. How do you hire and fire those cows? How do you hire the cows? I don't know. Anyway, I wanted to talk to somebody over there. How do you guys do it? And so I contacted Deanne Turner. She's vice president of sustainability. And she has a lot to say about hiring and firing as well. Here's my conversation with Deanne Turner. On to the really good stuff here. Now, I liked the part of your book about creating a compelling culture again, because unless we have a compelling culture, we just don't have anything to invite anybody into. You know, that's the foundation before we even begin to look for talent and hire people. But I want to know how to hire the best people. You know, we've been in business for enough years now to know that Two different hires can change the direction of the entire company, and one hire can cost you a ton of money, and one hire can make you a ton of money, and the job description is exactly the same. 
And so we are just more careful than ever about who we bring into our culture. Not only that, but the culture can change overnight. We like having a very generous culture, a very caring culture. One of our values is grace over guilt, so we don't make each other feel guilty for our mistakes. We practice grace. And one person, even if they're coming into a large team, can radically change the culture. And so we just have to be very careful. And I like your guideline, your reminders for who we bring in. And the first part has to do with selecting talent. And I'm wondering, Deanne, how do you guys hire people and select talent at Chick-fil-A? Well, there are really three things we focus on when we hire someone, and we call them the three C's, character, competency, and chemistry. And we always start with character. We believe you can teach people to do a lot of things, but character is a little harder. And so we look for people who do share those values, who are interested in helping us fulfill our mission and identify with our purpose. And so in doing that, we ask people about people who know them very well, people they've reported to, the coach they might have played under or a volunteer organization in which they served. And we ask about, would this person be a good reflection of our good name in the community? And whether it's an operator or a staff member, that's the approach that we take on that. So we start with character. Secondly, we focus obviously on competency, and we don't just look at, does someone have the competency for the role we have today, but will they have the competency for future roles that our organization needs? Because part of what establishes that culture is the ability to have strong retention and have places for people to grow to. You know, for instance, when we select Chick-fil-A operators, we might be selecting them for one restaurant, but We have hundreds of operators that operate more than one restaurant, and we know that's important to our growth, and it's important for their satisfaction to be able to grow into something like that. So we look for people that we can envision that they have the leadership potential to operate more than one Chick-fil-A restaurant, for example. So we're not just looking for today, but we're looking into the future when we think about competency as well. I'm curious as to sometimes when you hire somebody hasn't done that exact job They don't have experience in exactly what you want to hire them, but you're seeing something in them that you think they can get it pretty quickly. Do you ever make exceptions, not in terms of competency, but they don't have the experience and yet you trust that they're going to be able to learn this anyway? Do you guys ever make exceptions in that area when you're thinking this person is going to be able to learn this task? You know, I think whether you're a restaurant operator that's looking for talent, they make all their own decisions around that, or you're in our situation where we're hiring talent to work at the corporate office, which we now call the support center, or selecting operators or franchisees, we use that term interchangeably, we're always looking for potential leadership. So if somebody has leadership skills, a strong track record of performance, and they bring a strong skill set of capability and you know success, whether it's educationally or in other areas, I believe they are teachable. And there's certainly opportunities to consider that. And we have. I'm an example of that, to be honest with you. I came to Chick-fil-A. I was very young. I had very little experience, but the experience that I had was in the marketing world. And when I came to interview at Chick-fil-A, I interviewed for a marketing job for about six months. And then they finally offered me a job in HR, which I had no experience in. But the person who hired me saw something in me, saw a natural talent. And you know what? 30 years later, they were exactly right, and it turned out to be my calling in life. So, Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, having that own experience myself, I certainly look for that opportunity when I can see that happening in somebody else's life as well. 
chemistry. That's the third C. And we're looking for people who, you know, they're the kind of people's like, do I want to work with this person day by day? Are they enjoyable to work with? Are they going to be a, a great person to be on the road traveling with? And so we, we really try to connect people with the teams that they're going to be a part of and make sure that both they feel comfortable in that environment and the people who are going to work with them, you know, that that makes a great fit as well. Well, once we've selected our talent, we got to keep them. That's uh, kind of like marriage. It's one thing to win the girl. It's another thing to keep her around. People love working for Chick-fil-A. I mean, everybody I know who works there loves the culture. What do you guys do? What are you intentionally doing to keep your talent around, to sustain talent? One of the most important things that I think impacts our ability to sustain talent is the what I call the care factor at Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. People ask me, hey, I've been at Chick-fil-A 32 years now. It's like, why have you stayed so long? Well, different seasons of my life, I could tell you different things. But one thing that's been consistent is absolutely how cared for I feel as an individual being part of the company. And, you know, you gave the example of how you felt cared for as a guest when you came to visit mm-hmm. and, and Dan did that for you. Well, that's what it's like to work there. When the joys of life, whether it's a marriage or a new baby or a promotion, any of those things, and those you work with celebrate you and become a part of your story, so to speak. And then even when there's the grief and the sadness, when I lost my dad a few years back and I was in that funeral home and it wasn't my neighbors, it wasn't my church family or my other friends, it was my Chick-fil-A family that was sitting there with me making sure I you know, ate a chicken sandwich, of course, and <laughs> I got something to eat and <laughs> yeah. that I was taken care of. And that has been constant throughout my career at Chick-fil-A, and I hear other people talk about that too. And so we treat each other that way at Chick-fil-A. We talk about treating one another and our guests with honor, dignity, and respect. That has so much to do with being able to sustain that. Another very important thing we do is we invest in the development of others. And so at the Chick-fil-A restaurant level, we have a scholarship program called the Remarkable Futures program. We gave away $9 million in scholarships this past wow. year in that program. And then at our home office level, or excuse me, our, our support center, as we now call it at that level, every single employee there has a development budget that they can use to develop the skills they need for their job and life skills that they need to be more successful as, as a person, as a human being, as a spouse, as a parent, that's available for them to use in that way. And then even there's a budget within the restaurant for the franchisee to develop themselves and participate in things like that. So we care a lot about people's growth and development, not just in one aspect, not just from a professional, but holistically in all areas of their life. I say to our staff all the time, hey, we're not family because you have a family and I believe that the family is a sacred thing, but we are like family and there's no possible way we should spend eight hours together each day unless we've committed to taking care of each other, both you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially. We've just got to do this. And I think that value of ours has made this such a wonderful culture. I just really believe we have almost as much influence on each other's lives just because of the amount of time that we're together and the stress that we're under in our workplaces. We have as much influence as sometimes brothers and sisters and sometimes even parents. It is a commitment. When a group of people get together to try to accomplish something, I think there's a responsibility there to take care of each other's hearts. 
Oh, I love the way you put that, Don. That's very true. And I think that what you've described in your organization is very similar to what we experience at Chick-fil-A. Well, that's because we hovered around your organization for a couple of years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you go from, you know, you talk about selecting talent and sustaining talent. And finally, the third thing, you talk about stewarding talent. What's the difference between sustaining talent and stewarding talent? Talent is a gift. And I talk about that and it's my pleasure. It's a gift to be stewarded. And People need different things at different times. So, you know, when I talk about sustaining, we might have a wellness program that one size fits all. But then you talk about stewarding and you're really looking at what somebody's individual hopes and dreams are. And, you know, I love the quote. It wasn't true. It's quote, but he said it a lot in his lifetime, which is if you'll help enough people get enough of what they want, you'll eventually get what you want. And I don't think he meant that from a selfish point of view, but he talked about, you know, giving away to others first and then worrying about yourself, putting others ahead of yourself. And so I think that's what stewarding is all about, understanding what people's dreams are and what they want to accomplish and then helping them get there, not giving it to them, but laying out a plan, laying out clear expectations, giving good feedback to help their dreams come true. You know, I've had that privilege many, many times over my own career. I've told people that my best day at work is the day I get to give somebody a promotion because it's realizing something that's so important to them. It's such a special day to them. And I just get so much joy from that. And when we steward people well, when we really help them, that's a natural outcome that we would have joy from that. So, you know, there are needs that we have of emerging talent. They're trying to build a career. And so they're looking to be successful. How can we help them with that? With seasoned talent, a lot of them are already successful, but they want to feel significant in the work they do as they finish their career. How can we help them do that? So regardless of the stage of career that someone's in, or if they're a young person working in a Chick-fil-A restaurant for a franchisee, we've been entrusted with that gift of talent. And it's our responsibility to what they've given to us in the time that they give us that we steward it well. Guys, I'm really hungry for Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God it's not Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I know where I'm going next. No, but it, it's fascinating to get a real inside peek into how they've done it. Yeah. yeah. I think there's something to learn Chick-fil-A. There's something to learn in Pop Social. There's something to learn from Ramsey Solutions. And if there's anything to learn, it's people are different. And yeah. it's a different process. But yeah. do you have a framework? Yeah. Do you actually think about it? I remember the very first time I interviewed somebody. I accidentally became president of this little company in Oregon. And the very first time I hired somebody, I had no idea what to ask them. <laughs> what did you say? I literally, somebody said, somebody gave me the stupidest question. I was like, what question do I ask? And they said, ask them what's in their car. Like if you went in their car, what would be in their car? Is it messy? And those kinds of things, you know, because that says a lot about a person. And I'm like, well, that's a really good question. I get in the interview, I'm like, what's in your car? <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? I go, no, like, you what, just got creepy. Like what's in your car? Like what, what do you have in your car? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't incredible. think I asked any other questions. I just told them what we did as a company. And I'm like, okay, you can go. It was just a, it was a, One of I was the questions I always ask that kind of throws people off is I say, why shouldn't I hire you? 
Ooh. Yeah, that's kind of like my closing question. I just got questions. intimidated yeah, by think, that. Because I say, why shouldn't I hire you? Because one, they've probably not heard that before. They're not expecting it. So mm-hmm. it has to be off the cuff. And two, it's a different way of asking what are your weaknesses and mm-hmm. see yeah. if they're going to be honest. I would just say, because I care too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we recently did the episode with Peter Thiel. And when he hires someone, he always says, what do you believe that no one else believes? Ooh. Which is an interesting one. That's a good one, too. You know, if I ever interviewed at Google, that would scare the heck out of me because they're always like you're only an inch tall and you're at the bottom of a blender how do you get out yeah <laughs> you're supposed to know some <laughs> physics thing that yeah. nobody knows and you know it would just be really really intimidating i would be like i'm smart in other ways in ways that you guys don't know and so i would deal with that all right next week you guys are going to love this we have vanessa van edwards can i confess something to you Go. sometimes when i'm on the road and you know betsy's not around i actually watch self-help youtube videos <laughs> Like what? Re- like really cheesy ones. Like, like what? how to make a good first impression. Anything about like ketogenic diets. <laughs> I l- I've basically learned a swimming stroke from Michael Phelps on YouTube. I like prop my laptop up in the bathroom and I shave and I even take a shower and I and I like turn up. I, it's really bad. <laughs> but I, I'm I am a geek for like. What do my eyes need to do when I'm talking to somebody? Yeah. And how long do you make eye contact? I'm a geek for that stuff. And I'm terrible. I'm just terrible at it. A lot of this comes from being an introvert and just not knowing what to do with my hands You're when I'm talking it. to somebody. I'm hacking it. You're hacking it. Trying to figure out hacks. And that's somewhat of what she does. <laughs> <laughs> I, hopefully I haven't just insulted her. She's actually very intelligent. Anyway, it's all about social cues. Yeah. It's about like, you know, how to get along with people. So if you're like me, you know, if you're scared of people and you don't know how to talk to them, <laughs> this might help. Here's a little bit of my conversation with Vanessa Van Edwards. So I love lie detection research. I find it fascinating. While I was in doing, we were doing a big study on lie detection cues, I discovered this term micromessages. So micromessages is this idea that we are constantly sending out very subtle nonverbal signals to people around us. And um, a researcher, really interesting woman named Mary P. Rowe, decided to really dive into how our micromessages not only affect people's perception of us, but also affect people's performance. Hmm she found was she was able to break down micro messages, nonverbals into two buckets, micro negatives, or she calls microaggressions and micro positives. So as you can imagine, like for example, an eye roll would be a microaggression or micro negative. Um, A smile or a nod would be a micro positive. And there there are hundreds of them and there are a lot of them. Her hypothesis was that managers who have favorite employees show them more micro positives and who have least favorite employees show them micro-negatives. And this actually creates a really, really dangerous cultural cycle. So she took this to the test and she found managers that said, I treat my employees equally. Now, most managers think that they treat their employees equally. Even if they have favorites, they say, no, I try to be really judicious, really fair. She found those managers, the ones that prided themselves in treating people equally. And then she observed videos of them interacting with their team. And she was able to correctly identify her and her team, which the manager's favorite employees were and who the wow. manager's least favorite employees. Just accounting the number of messages. Okay, so if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, do so now. Go to iTunes and subscribe to the Building a Story Brand podcast. That way you get it automatically and you don't miss any of this gold. You guys, what a wonderful episode. It was so the best. Good. We now know how to hire people. Yeah. I'm I, also reading into your smile right now. Are you? <laughs> I, yeah, you, did not, not you to, are not making good eye contact. You're supposed to put your shoulders back and keep your chin up. This is something that I've learned, which I'm terrible about. 
Interesting. Anyway, next, uh, we're going to have to do an episode on firing, how to fire somebody. (laughs) That'll be coming up. Just kidding. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or on iTunes today. Thank you for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to hire somebody.